Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. You have your Bible, say yeah. yeah. You have a paper Bible, say yeah, yeah. Those are the holy ones. Open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And then, um, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of a context of the passage that we're studying today. And we're going to see what the Lord does in a mighty, mighty fashion. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're new today, we're in the middle of a series studying the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea. And the focus of this study is about maturation or spiritual growth. The beginning of this year, I felt like the Lord had really put it upon our heart that this would be the year that we grew up. Amen. Not just as a church, because we're only three years old, but also as a body of believers, because it's good to grow up. Now, I didn't say grow old. Hear me now. I didn't say grow old, but growing up is important as Christians, that we might mature past yesterday's faith, yesterday's milk, that we might really feast on more of what the Lord has for us. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm in the ESV and it reads like this. Then, after 14 years, I, that's Paul, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. But those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship, that's unity, to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Verse 10, only they asked this one thing, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The title of our message today is Finding Your Tribe. Finding Your Tribe. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, this text, this time. We submit. We surrender. We yield to you. Say what you want to say. Change who you want to change. Amen. I want to set some context for you because I don't, I don't mind just being honest with you. Um, uh, some pastors are incredibly smart, and so they can read passages like this and it all clicks. But how many of you just heard that passage and you're like, I have no idea what's happening? 
Amen. Let's just call it what it is. The Bible can be confusing sometimes. Am I right? Like it's, it, it can be a challenge because if you don't know the whole narrative, if you just jump in and start pulling out text, then it can be hard to understand. A lot of the people in our church, they're asking or coming to our church, coming to faith, and they're saying, Pastor, I need a Bible. We give out free Bibles at the Bible bar. They're a beacon Bible. It's yours to steal. And it's the same translation that I, I use here. It's the English Standard Version. It's what they call a word-for-word translation. The idea is that it's as literal as can be. But the problem is, is if that's your first Bible or the first jump into the study of the text, sometimes those, those concepts can miss you. And so one of the other things that I tell people in our church who are coming to the faith for the first time is it's okay to have another Bible by your side. I have tons of translations because sometimes I'll read a passage and I'm like, I know I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to know this but it's good to have other references. So I I encourage guys to get the Message Bible. It's a paraphrased Bible written by a pastor named Eugene Peterson. It's not word for word, but it's a good old fashioned understanding in our language about how things work. And that is also why it's important to have a pastor in your life. Amen? Everybody say amen while I drink a bunch of water. I got a tickle. Amen. I love my church. One of the reasons that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, is that God appoints certain people in our life to be able to help us understand the word. That's why community matters, amen? Because left to your own devices, you'll be reading about circumcision, uncircumcision, and I'm just saying, you don't need to be making any mistakes in Jesus' name. And so let me set the stage for you. Let me explain what this is. I'm gonna give you our big idea and then we're gonna dive into the text. The apostle Paul, He writes about two-thirds of our New Testament and the very bulk of the doctrine of the Christian faith, meaning what we believe. He's writing a letter to a church in Galatea, modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to them, because it's a church that he planted and one he loves that he pastors, to correct some bad teaching that has crept in. And in this portion of the text, he's writing about a first-hand account of a meeting that he had with the other leaders of the church. In fact, this story is told in greater detail in Acts 15. And while there's some scholarly scholarly debate about whether that's the exact meeting, let's just lean into it. It's a pretty good understanding of what happened. Paul's writing about a meeting. And what he's saying is, I've been teaching this gospel. This gospel is this. God is good, perfect, holy, and righteous. Man is sinful, falls, fails every day. You cannot earn your way from here to there. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary, that glorious, amazing grace that you have found a way, been given a way to walk in righteousness, called righteous even when you don't feel that way, so that on the journey from salvation to eternal life, you might be continually regenerated by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul is trying to teach against this concept that says practicing religion will make you perfect. And it's important that we do this again and again as Christians, because you know what we do again and again as Christians is practice religion. We're like, well, I go to church. Yeah, but you live like a dirty dog. (laughs) Y'all good with this? What kind of church did you invite me to? You can do all the things, but lest you have become a new thing, 
by Jesus himself, no thing has changed. And so Paul is teaching this in the churches that he's been planting in, in, in what we call modern day Greece and Turkey, throughout the Mediterranean, the Middle East, to a population of people called Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. And he's been teaching this, and slowly over time, some teaching has begun to creep into the churches to say, yeah, the Jesus thing, the grace thing is good, but you should also do this. And specifically in Galatea, the teaching from a group of people called Judaizers has been circumcision. All the men say, no, that is not Jesus. They've said, yes, Paul, great ideas, it's grace. But lest you be circumcised, you won't be in line with Jewish Mosaic law, and then you can never be saved. It's the reintroduction of the religion that the gospel of Christ sets us free from. Amen? Now, you may not know this, but, but here's the best part. For freedom, you have been set free. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrificial death and his resurrection was all done so that you and I might live in freedom. Freedom from your sin. Come on, somebody. Freedom from your addictions. Freedom from your pain, your bitterness, your old habits, your lost, your foolishness, even the things that you learned from your family of origin that you said, we'll never get over that. For freedom, you've been set free. He came to set you free from all the bad stuff and religion. Hey, isn't that good? Here's what it means. You don't, you don't have to pray a certain way. You don't have to go to mass at a certain time. There are no festivals or meals or dinners or special things that you need to do that God's waiting for you to check off the list because if you don't, you won't make it to heaven. For freedom, you've been set free. That's why we get to say, in him I live and move and have my being. That's why we got a whole church full of people covered in tattoos. Come on, somebody. I've been encouraging people at our church, invite your friend. And they're like, you know, one of my friends was like, dude, I got tattoos. And he goes, you know what I did? I sent him a picture of you, pastor. <laughs> we had another guy say, I don't have a suit. And I was like, I don't have a suit either. What's a suit? <laughs> we are not here to play by a bunch of religious rules. We are here to receive the relationship of Jesus Christ and let him transform us from the inside out. Ready? You come here just as you are and you fit perfectly, but you don't get to stay just as you were. God is perfecting you every single day. Amen? I want the dirty of the dirty, the broken of the broken, the busted and disgusted to come walking in this door. Why? Because I know a Jesus who changes everything. Amen. I love my church. Here's the big idea today. Ready? The world is full of people. Tons of people with different ideas, different crews, ideologies, perspectives, and ways in which they live their life. The world is full of them. The gospel calls us to find our people. It invites us to believe and receive all that I just shared with you collectively because that's how it works for us best. Amen? 
Today we're going to talk about how to find your tribe. But I had to lay that foundation of the gospel so you don't miss that I'm just inviting you to a social club. Amen? This whole thing is built on Jesus. That's why I never like when churches say, you can belong before you believe. No, belief is the foundation. Amen. I don't want you to be at Beacon and be like, I belong to Beacon. Are you Christian? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, then we missed it. I want you to come and say yes, and let's let Jesus do everything else. Amen? All right, three things I want to show you today. If you're taking notes, there's three sections. And if you have one of our workbooks as we're studying through the book of Galatians, you'll see the notes are already written in there. We're going to talk about how to determine who's who. Of all the people in your life to figure out who is who, what they mean, and how to deal with them. We're going to talk about your tribe, how to accurately and correctly identify who God's placed in your life to help you grow in this journey of the gospel. And then I'm going to talk about this mandate in verse 10 about remembering the poor. Amen? Amen. So let's look at this. Verses 1 through 6. The apostle Paul is telling this story about this meeting where he goes to the council in Jerusalem to defend the doctrine that he's been teaching. He brings with him his dear friend Barnabas. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. Can I just preach right there for a minute? You need you at least one friend who's marked by encouragement. You also need somebody who elbows you and just says like, hey, don't worry. It's just the kids. Don't worry. (laughs) Be encouraged. Amen. You need one, two, ten, a hundred people who encourage you. Paul takes Barnabas with him. He also takes Titus with him. Which if you read your Bible, later on, Titus will become the pastor of his own church. Titus is not actually assigned to Paul to encourage him. Titus walks along with Paul as proof of the ministry of God through Paul's life. And he shows up at a meeting, the Council of Jerusalem. And at this meeting are the the big dogs of the Christian faith. We have James, the half-brother of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus, but had a powerful encounter described in 1 Corinthians 15 that changed his mind about the character of his half-brother. He's a man marked by prayer, and when Paul meets him here, he's the bishop or the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Next to him is John. You know John, the disciple that Jesus loved. The one that when he writes about Peter, he kind of writes down about Peter and up about himself. Read your Bible. It's awesome. He's like, we were running and Peter doesn't love Jesus as much as I love Jesus. It's just good old fashioned bragging. It's John. John is the youngest of the disciples. John is the one who laid his head on Jesus's chest. John is the one who writes both the gospel of John, which is the spiritual understanding of who Jesus is, as well as his epistles and the last book of your Bible, the Revelation. And then there's Peter himself. My favorite. Don't you love Peter? His life is marked by good. (laughs) And what are you doing, Peter? That's what I love about Peter. That's what I love about the Bible is it's full of stories just like this. There is nobody perfect save for Jesus in this Bible. That's why I like to read this Bible because I'm in every story. I'm like, why would they do? Oh, no, I've done that. Yeah, I have done that. Then there's Peter. Peter upon whose words, declaration of Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus said, on that confession, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That's who's in the room. And Paul comes in with his ragtag crew and he comes there to share with them 
the faith he's been preaching in Jesus to the Gentiles. And there's another crew of people who came right along. The Bible says false brothers or spies have snuck into this same meeting. These are Judaizers. The very same people that are attacking the churches, specifically the church in Galatea, are also in this meeting. I love this picture. Come on. It's Paul and his crew. Amen? And the big dogs, because you need a few of those meetings, right? And then right alongside them is the people where you're like, for real, what are you doing here? All of your life will be marked by these three kinds of people. The journey of faith will be marked by those who love you and who are assigned to you. Those who are over and can cover and help. And those who just want to knock you down. I wish I could tell you that the moment you get Christian, those go away. (laughs) They don't. They just get worse. Wait, and some of them are Christian. Now, if that's you, just look right at me. And if that's the person next to you, just look right at me. You will always have three kinds of people in your life. The first group of people is those God has assigned to you to help you grow. Check it out. Paul has his dear friends, Barnabas and Titus. All of the life of faith is built on relationships. One more time. All of the journey of faith is built on relationships. Reject any teaching or any suggestion from anybody that you can do this thing between just you and Jesus. It ain't in the Bible. It ain't true. It don't work. That's the fastest way to spiritually die. All of the faith is built on relationships. Now, some relationships are seasonal. Amen? In fact, most relationships are seasonal. Some are short. Some are beautiful. And then they're gone. But every relationship that's been ordained by the Lord is meant to help you. I need you to understand you did not make it my accident here today. Did you know that? Amen. Not only did someone who love you invite you, but also God woke you up in your right mind. Your car or the bus or the motorcycle, the Uber or the Lyft, it started, right? You brushed your, I hope you brushed your teeth today. But God made a way for you to be here. You didn't do this. This was on purpose. Want to know why? Because there's somebody in the seat next to you, in the row next to you, going to get coffee at the same time as you. Someone in here is a divine appointment that God is going to use to change your life. I need you to see big picture stuff. Amen. I don't want you to think all of life is random, just bumping into people. Everything in life is ordained. Every meeting. I was just telling Chanel, I, you know, when I'm not a pastor, what? On Tuesdays, I like to keep to myself. And so I forget that I'm a pastor. I go to the store just like you go to a store. My hat's on, my hoodie's way down, and I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. Because, you know, sometimes you're tired, right? And so some days, I, you know, I, I, don't, I just kind of want to, I just want to be <laughs> left alone. 
on Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, I had a dentist appointment and I just was in that mindset. I just wasn't thinking like a good old fashioned Christian could be thinking, which is God's got something for me today. I'm supposed to encounter somebody today. I'm supposed to be full of love today. This should be a joyous thing today. Jesus, what do you want to do today? I just wasn't in that headspace. It was early and I don't like the dentist. Amen. And I got into the dentist chair and it's a new lady and she's asking me questions, you know, so, uh, so what, what, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, ah, oh, ha, ha. She's like, what? I'm telling her again. Finally, I like pulled the, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh. And I remember immediately thinking like, have I been rude? <laughs> do you ever do that? When somebody finds out you're Christian, you're like, wait, have I said a bad word? Like I genuinely is like, have I been living up to what God's been calling me to live up to, not just on Sundays, but every day? Remember, every moment counts. And I just wasn't feeling it. And she found out I was a pastor and she put all of her tools right on the little thing. And she started to tell me about her family, her husband and her sons. She has two twins and how they're totally different. She's having trouble with the second one. She's asking me questions about my sons and how do you deal with one that's older and gets it together and the younger one is a little more wild. And you know, I started to share with her a little bit, came out of my shell. The Lord started to use me in spite of me, amen. And we started to talk and then the dentist himself put his tools down in the other room and he sat down. He came right in and I'm in the chair. And they're talking about their kids. And in a moment, in an, in an instant, where I just wanted to like, hurry up, let me get the rinse and get out. God was like, no, 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 no. Dentist appointment is family time today. And so we just started to participate and start talking about strategies on how to love kids differently. Even though one is, you know, got it all together and the other one's like, why do you listen to that music? We're just talking about how to love and how to trust God in us. I don't know if either of them are Christian, but they're in the room talking to a pastor. And I was like, I just believe when we give our children to the Lord, he does a lot better job of parenting than we can. And they were both like, amen. And I was like, hallelujah. What happened just now? Every moment of every day is an assignment for you and an assignment through you. God's got somebody in this room who wants to change your life. Amen? And he wants you to walk alongside somebody in this room so God can change their life. I need you to think big picture about your faith. We are not just bumping into each other. We are ordered steps and walking together. Now, not all relationships are good. Let's be honest. All of our faith is built on relationships, but not all relationships build our faith. The picture of Paul at the meeting with his friends and the pillars in the church is also filled with people who legitimately came for one purpose and that's to destroy Paul's credibility, to beat him up and to critique him. It is common, normal, everyday, average life experience that you will have some people in your life who don't like you. Amen? I used to preach against this because I used to go to a church and they would talk about haters all the time. And I was like... Man, when you start calling people haters, you are a hater, I think. 
But it's true, some people in your life do not treat you with the same affection that you might prefer that they do. In fact, the more serious you get about your faith, the more that people will come out of the woodwork about your faith. You will have people who will say, do you think you're better than me? Amen? Or you will have people who will say, you aren't really Christian. Or you will have somebody at your job who's just mean and you can't figure it out. Later on, you find out they're agnostic, they're atheist, they're church hurt, something. But it is common for all of us in this room to have somebody that makes you struggle. So how do we deal with them? Let's talk about how not to, amen? Don't say things like, if I wasn't Christian, I would knock you. (laughs) Good thing Jesus is on my side. Please don't bring him into this like that. He's like, hold up, bro. It's like getting spiritually held back. Oh, if Jesus didn't let me go. (laughs) No. You got to deal with them. You can't deal with them in anger. You can't let your emotions lead the charge. But you can follow Paul's example. I need you to see this. He says there are some people who snuck in to find out about us and to spy out our freedom. This is in verse 4. He says, they came and despised our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us back into slavery. He's recognizing that the false teaching and that's attack on him and on the teaching that he's sharing with the church in Galatia is meant to set them free. And he recognizes that religious attack is meant to call people back into slavery, meant to bring them back into bondage, meant to make them suffer some more. All attack of the enemy through people with negative words and accusations and slander and mean spirit and gossip and chaos, All of it is an attack on the enemy so that you might be stuck in bondage. All of it. When someone says a negative thing, the whole purpose of it is that you get stuck thinking about it all day long. You ever had somebody just say something to you random and then they're done and they're gone and it's three days later and you're like, oh, I can't believe that this has happened. You ever had that? It's bondage. The attack of the enemy, he doesn't care if you love Jesus. He just cares that you don't do nothing for Jesus. And Paul says, I recognize these spies and they came in to pull us back into slavery. And so verse five, he says, and so to them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. How do you deal with negative people in your life? Ready? You ignore them. Isn't that simple? Did you think it was going to be deeper? Did you think it would be theologically deep? No, it's not. You literally keep moving forward. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with somebody who doesn't like you for you. Have you ever won them back to you? Never. You've never said something to somebody and they're like, you're stupid at the beginning of the conversation. At the end, they're like, you're right. I was wrong. It doesn't happen. When people have dug their heels into the ground of accusation and they don't like your character, do you know who can change them? Only Jesus. And so when we turn from them, when Paul says, I didn't yield to them to a moment, what he's saying is in the conversation of the council, I didn't say nothing to them. I pretended they weren't there. I kept my focus on the thing I was called to do. I let the Lord handle that fight for me because vengeance belongs to the Lord. I am not here to argue with every detractor and every negative word and every comment and all gossip. I don't care about it. I love you. Jesus loves you more. Talk to him about it. I'm busy chasing after God. 
And one of the things that we do as Christians is everybody's got something to say and we're like, hold up, Jesus, I'm about to put them in their place. (laughs) And we engage in a bunch of conversations that are fruitless and have kept us occupied and we're pushing people all around and we're getting the last word and we win this one and we final point and we do all this stuff and we feel like we've won and we've won nothing except wasted time that we could have spent with the one who makes all things worth living. Amen? So I want you to think about who's that person in your life right now. Whatever your strategy was heretofore, it's over. You give them to the Lord and you move forward. Amen? Now, hear me. Starting tomorrow, their accusations will get mad. Do you know why? Because the enemy is hearing this preaching right now. And so as you make a determined stand not to fight back, it's going to get loud. So let the Lord use you. Don't fight back, but give it to God. Let him fight the battle. Amen? All right, so Paul brings in his buddies. Barnabas, his best friend, the encourager, and Titus, a Gentile who has been set free by the gospel but has not been circumcised so as to succumb to Jewish law. He is evidence that the message of Jesus Christ, salvation, sanctification, what God can do through somebody from the becoming to the doing, not doing so you become, Titus is proof. And then there's some haters. And then there's the pillars. Our prayer for you over time in the journey of faith is that God would open the door for you to be around people who can open doors for you. Amen? I want you to be walking from, as the Bible says, from glory to glory. When you hear God's call on your life, I want to invite you, introduce you, have you meet other people who can see the gift on your life, who can propel you so that you might grow in faith, teach you, harness you, train, send, equip. That's the beauty of the gospel. The reason we do it together is not just so we can care for each other, but so that we can go places that we could not go on our own. And so Paul stands before the three most influential men in the church. And Paul, I love Paul, because Paul's not very, uh, you know, subtle with his words sometimes. Paul says, I stood before the influential ones, who they were, I don't care. (laughs) This is Peter, James, and John. I kind of care. Paul's like, I don't care who they were. Because God shows no partiality. People's position, power, influence, and impact is not important to God. Do you know why? Because he gave it. He has put people in positions of power. He has built the platforms. The influence and impact that we see throughout our faith has been given by God, and it can be taken by God. God is not enamored with celebrity Christians. But hold on. Don't get mad at celebrity Christians. Because they aren't the problem. If I learned anything from this last six weeks of revival in our country, it's that people were very excited to condemn celebrity Christians. They were talking about Asbury. Oh, it's this beautiful revival. It's so wonderful. And there's not a celebrity in the bunch. Yes, there were. There were a ton. A ton. Who came just like us. You see, power, position, impact, and influence are not the problem. The problem is our relationship with it. God puts people in big positions and he's done it throughout history. 
Time and again, God chooses people to stand in front of a multitude of people to be used by great power. They're not the problem. Our fascination with the power is the problem. Our desire to be in proximity to fame and fortune is the problem. It's our chasing after vain glory that's the problem. Now, it's true that some people that are given big platforms fall. Amen? Same sin. Their struggle with their fame is the same struggle we have with our enamorment of people of power. That's why when big church pastors fall and the church scatters, we find that the faith was built on the man. Man's fault? Kinda. Church's fault? Yeah. Hear me, okay? I'm trying to push, I'm trying to teach you today. You cannot love your leader more than you love the God they serve. But don't you hate on your leader if God gives them a platform. There's two sides of this pendulum. Let us embrace when God uses people to great influence. Pastor Ty leads his own worship group. They're called Ty Morris and H-O-W, amen. And they travel the country. They got influence and impact. It's awesome. I'm not mad at that. He's doing there more than he can do here. Amen? But I'm also not like, you know, in Pastor Ty's DM, like, I just love your stuff so much, man. I just think you're the most amazing. We're friends, we're covenant. We recognize that we're on equal footing before Christ. And sometimes platforms are big and sometimes platforms are small. The difference is Jesus stays the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, amen? And so Paul stands in this Jerusalem council and he says, I stand before the big dogs. (laughs) And I wasn't scared of nothing because I know the God they know. And I told him the gospel I'm preaching. And he says, and they didn't add nothing because they saw the anointing in me to preach to the Gentiles was the same anointing in Peter to preach to the Jews. He said, he said if I can talk to my own church, he said, real recognize real. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm sorry. Is that in Matthew? That's in Matthew. He said, I walked into the room and I recognized the title didn't matter. But what recognized was, was that alignment mattered. I came there not to be approved, but to be aligned. Here's the deal. You will need leaders in your life, plain and simple. You need a pastor. You need a pastor. One more time. You need a, you need somebody who has authority to tell you the truth and say, let's fix that. Let's do this. Encourage you, lift you up, change you. They need to be in your life to have influence and impact. Amen. But you are not there for their approval. You are there so that they can get you into alignment with Jesus. That's it, right? I always joke in this church, I'm not trying to be your friend. (laughs) We're friendly, but if we're just friends, it will be very hard for me to rebuke you, change you, correct you, trust you, love you, lead you, help you, amen? And so Paul walks into the room and he's like, okay, uh, this is what I'm doing, y'all good? And they're like, we're good, amen. So he finds out who's who in the room. And then here's the best part. Here's how you and I can determine who's who in our life. We mostly, 
very importantly, need to take the delineation of these different groups of people and apply them to finding our own tribe. So I'm gonna give you three simple things that you can do to make sure that the people that you're running with are the people that God's assigned to you. Ready? Number one, finding your tribe. They are godly. The people in your tribe should be godly. Amen? Godly. They care about holiness. They care about righteousness. They care about continually growing in the faith. Amen? Your tribe cannot be people who are pulling you away from the throne of Jesus Christ. You can be near them. You can be in the world, but you cannot be of the world. You can be associated. You can be called to them, but that's not your tribe. Your tribe must consist of people who are godly. Number two, your tribe must consist of people who are graceful. God's people are kind and caring. A hallmark of someone who's been blood-bought, changed, challenged, and is being made in the image of Christ is that they're just nice. Amen? See, we preach a hard word, and I think sometimes when you go to a church that teaches real good old-fashioned truth, sometimes we lose nice. You ever meet a Christian that's mean? And you're just like, why would I ever be Christian? Right? We're nice. Jesus says they'll know you by the way that you Love one another. You need some people in your life who are not only standards for truth, but givers of grace. Because you are imperfect. Amen? And I need that too. Which means that if you want that, you better be that. You better hold your family and this church to a standard of holiness and be graceful when they struggle. Number one, be godly. Number two, be graceful. And the third one, I love this one, right? They are growing, 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 growing. The people in your tribe better be serious about holiness. Better be kind in the way that they deliver. And better be diligently chasing after God every day, recognizing that yesterday's faith is not enough for today's battle. Amen? I want people in my circle who will text me and be like, bro, I just read 1 Timothy again. Did you know? <laughs> Amen? Amen? I want people that are flipping through this. I want people who are like, did you hear about Asbury? <laughs> what in the world? Did you hear it spread to Lee? Did you hear it's at Samford? Did you hear it's at 20? I want people who are fired up about the new move of God. I want people who have a burning in them in, to, to, to chase after what God's doing in the here and now so that they might find him more clearing, clearly in the there and forever. You need people who are unwilling to be stagnant in the faith. I want people who are fire. Am I preaching to the right room right now? This is a moment to shout. I want people in my life. You should be seeking people in your life who are fired up about God's work in their heart. I want people in this room to walk in and be like, Pastor, I'm four days free from cigarettes. Right? And I want to be like, everybody gather around. We're throwing a party right now. I want to celebrate what God is doing in this church. And that's the one of the ways you know that God has assigned somebody to your life. They care about the things of God. They're kind to you and they're bringing you with him for more of him. Paul has that in his friend Barnabas. And in this meeting, he's found that in Peter. Next week, we're gonna talk about how these relationships that are built on these three G's that make them beautiful and God-ordained can be attacked by the enemy. 
I want you to be mindful that every time God yokes you together with somebody, especially if they're godly, gracious, and growing, the enemy is big mad about it. And you got to lean in deep and hard with one another. At the end of this conversation, I always wonder what Paul must have felt like. Having stood amongst the pillars with his friends and ignored the people who were against him, the Bible says that the James and Cephas and John metaphorically extended the right hand of fellowship. In the first century church, during the time in which they didn't call themselves Christians, but called themselves followers of the way, the right hand of fellowship was a formal greeting. And the extender of the greeting would put his hand flat, as if to say, upon this foundation, you can rest because I'm with you. And the one who would to receive the greeting would extend their hand out and grab the forearm. And the hand on the bottom would grab the forearm and, and they would pull and release and pull. The right hand of fellowship was an interwoven, interlocked, deeply intimate, skin-to-skin connection that said, more of me, less of me, more of you, less of you. Let us walk this road together. What was that like for Paul? To stand in that room and to be confirmed, though he didn't seek confirmation. They didn't add anything to the teaching of grace, but they confirmed one thing. Verse 10, it says, remember the poor. He says, they only asked that I remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. What they're doing in this moment is reminding Paul of the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very core of the revolutionary teaching of grace and love that came from God in the flesh, Emmanuel, to the world. It was anti-religion and anti-tradition. It was anti-merit-based faith. The idea was not that you could earn, but that he had paid the price so that you could receive. That was the whole point. And the beauty about a gospel that says you don't have to pay is that it applies for everyone. Now see, only the rich in the first century would have understood the idea that they could earn their way. And even the Catholic church in the years to follow had built in a whole system by way you could pay your way into heaven. But the gospel has never been about what you have or what you do. The gospel has always been for people who have nothing and can do nothing because there's a God who made a way out of nothing. So we have everything. And so they say to Paul, don't forget to remember the Paul, the, the poor. And I wish I could have been there. I wish Paul would, have, I mean, I just, I want to be in the room. They would have said, Paul, don't forget, remember the poor. And I think in my sanctified imagination, Paul actually said, duh, what do you, th- that's what I'm doing. I'm going to people who need, that's the gospel. Now, in this passage right here, it says the poor, but it doesn't just mean monetarily poor. It means anyone who lacks what God provides. It's a picture of Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The picture is God has a special heart for those who are in need. And so here it is today, church. Band, you guys can come up. We're going to close with this. Here's the concept. Okay, The gospel that is taught by Paul to the church is a gospel of grace. Ready? You can't earn it and you can't defeat it either. 
Oh, I hope you can hear me this today because the religious folks need to hear, you can't earn God's favor. And the men and women like me who've been arrested, who've been addicted, who've made more mistakes than successes, you and I need to hear this. If they can't earn it, (laughs) we can't defeat it. We can't discredit it. There's nothing that you've done in this room that Jesus looks at and goes, that one might be too big. Nothing. There's nothing that you've done that is too big for God. In fact, he loves when what you've done is a disaster. He says, I'm a disaster fixing agent. That's my favorite part. Bring me all of those who need me. That's the teaching. And so when when Paul and his friends discover that they're in alignment, they said, don't you forget those in need. And Paul, I have it in my imagination, Paul would have understood this. Your tribe, my tribe, our tribe is marked by two kinds of people. Those who are living the gospel for freedom set free by Jesus Christ. And those who need the gospel. You see, in this room right now are people who are living the gospel. Welcome home. Welcome to your new family. Welcome to you thick as thieves, just like us running and gunning through the city of Denver, telling everybody about Jesus. Welcome home. And for those of you who are like, I don't know if God could love me. Welcome home. Welcome to your tribe. Welcome to your family. You say, no, everybody in this room is more holy than I. (laughs) No, I know them. No, they're not. They're just like you and me. We are all in this thing together. We're chasing after a Jesus who's chasing after us. There's no practice, no religion, no ritual that will make this work. He already made it work. And the way that he does it is he brings us together. So you're here today and you said, pastor, I want that. I'm ready for this. I don't know what, I don't, I just, I mean, whatever this is, I want it. God wants to give it to you today. And we don't do this a lot in our church because saying a simple prayer doesn't change anything, but it is the start. And if you're here today and this is the day and you just know it, you feel it right now. You're like, whatever it is, I want it right now. I'm going to ask in this room for every head to bow and every eye to close. I'm not going to ask you to do anything silly, but just to make eye contact with me in just a moment. If today you want to receive Jesus's free gift of love, his salvation today. You said, pastor, even if I were to receive it, I don't know if I could do it. Don't you worry. That's where the helper comes in. Jesus calls him the Holy Spirit. And once you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes a home in your heart and gives you the power to become who God's called you to be. If you want to be different today, set free today, saved today, delivered today, healed today, today is the day we start the journey. If that's you, every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You said, pastor, I want to receive Jesus today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just look up and make eye contact with me? I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Stick with me, I'm going to talk to everybody. I see you. I see you, bro. My God, I see you, I see you. Stick with me, I see you. I see you, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you, I see you, 
In the back row, I see you. He sees you. Church, pray this prayer with me, everybody in the room right now. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need saving. I can't earn it. I can't make it happen. But today, Jesus, I believe that your death and your resurrection have made the way. I believe you are Lord and I surrender. Holy Spirit, live in me. Change me from the inside. When I fall, pick me up. When I stumble, push me on. I surrender and I win. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand on your feet all over the building? Let's worship one more time. Beacon, we love you. Love you. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!